I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Rays blew a 2-0 lead to the Red Sox in the ninth. They lose 3-2 in 12 innings. Alex Colomay, who hadn't worked in a week, gets the blown save. But it's the quiet bats of Kevin Kiermaier, Carlos Gomez, and Wilson Ramos that are killing the Rays. We may cut into one of the Rays' stars and tell you why he may be a little bit overrated right now. Tom Jones wrote a column and said that if the Bucks are lucky enough to get a chance to draft Penn State running back Saquon Barkley, they should pass. I disagree. I think we might get in a little debate on that tonight. And also, I'm going to tell you a story about a former Steinbrenner High School graduate who helped thwart a school shooting all because she works for Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman and found a scary post that had been put on his timeline. All that and how the Tampa Bay Lightning moved back into first place on this Friday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud with the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Burstick. Before we get started, we want to welcome back our sponsor, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. You know, spring is the season of love, and if you're looking for that perfect gift for your wife or girlfriend, guys, go see my friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds for 40 years and he's been selling exclusively to other jewelers. Whether you're looking for a diamond pendant or a bracelet or earrings, or maybe you're ready to pop the question and need that engagement ring, you're going to get the best price at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Why walk around the jewelry stores or the shopping mall? They've got a big overhead. That means a bigger price for you. At Continental Wholesale, you're paying wholesale. There's no pressure. You're going to come in, and he's going to pour you a nice scotch. He's going to teach you about the four C's of diamonds, cut, carrot, color, and clarity. And he's going to match that perfect diamond for your loved one. It's Continental Wholesale Diamonds. That's where I shop. And they're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. So, Steve, let's talk about the Rays. They lose their sixth game in a row, and this was one that uh, I'm sure they wish they had back. They actually were up two to nothing. First of all, rookie Yanni Chirinos, this guy uh, pitched very, very well. Five strong scoreless innings. He looks like he's a guy that could be in the rotation. I know it's uh, one of their so-called bullpen days, but, man, he looked really good, especially on an opening day sort of situation there with the Red Sox. Matt Duffy comes through with a big two-run home run in the eighth inning. It looks like the Rays are going to snap that five-game losing streak, but it wasn't to be. And the first thing that happened was that Alex Colomay, he hadn't pitched in a week. I mean, this is the uh, the first time he had pitched in a week, and so – he blows the two to nothing lead in what was kind of sort of a messy ninth inning, if you will, and Ryan Yarbrough winds up losing it in the twelfth. He gives up a game winning single to Hanley Ramirez. But but here's what's here's what's interesting for me, Steve, is that Colome, since he hadn't pitched since the opener uh, a week ago, I, I was listening to the radio broadcast and Dave Will said on the broadcast that he had been talking to Kevin Cash, who said he would have liked for Alex Colome to come to him and get to the point where he would ask him to pitch. And I just didn't quite understand why, you know, Cash would think that it has to be Colomay to approach him when you certainly know that you haven't used the guy in, in a week in a week's time. I can understand where, as a manager, you want to see that fire from a player and you'd like them saying, hey, 
Skip, put me in today. I need to pitch. Give I me some pitch. work. I need I, work. You can see yeah. that. But as a manager's job, whether that player does that or not, you need to be talking with your players and understand your players of when they need to pitch and when they don't need to pitch. Now, maybe Alex didn't feel he needed to pitch. Uh, you know, Dave wasn't saying that Alex, you know, said he needed to pitch but didn't tell the skipper. But yeah, I would think that as a manager, Kevin Cash, you got to be, you know, Colin hasn't pitched in two or three days. Hey, do, do I need to get you in today or, you know, am I okay? You know, those are conversations managers should be having with players. No idea if it is happening. But if Cash is expecting Alex to come to him and say, hey, I want to pitch, I, I think you want that fire out of your players. But some players aren't just going to be that vocal about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's very, it's very possible that Colomay may feel like you know his job is to, to be ready and and to come in when they ask him to. Um, certainly, he's at the point now where he probably realizes when he needs some more work. But he wasn't sharp. I mean, you could see that that Colomay didn't have the command that he normally does when he goes in the game. He he was up zero and two on the first batter he faced. He he really got instead of wasting a pitch, he got it way too close to the strike zone. He gives up a leadoff single. Uh, and then he walks the next guy, which you rarely see him do, and that's how he sort of dug a hole for himself. Um, so, you know, you're not going to see him. I, mean, I think nine out of ten times, you know, he's going to nail that that save shut for them, and, and that's going to be the ball game. Um, but you could tell that, that perhaps when you lose command that maybe the rust was the problem, and it's just, you know, when you don't, when you don't work that long. It's a cold day. There's a lot of reasons why maybe, um, you know, he, he wasn't as sharp. Certainly, he can't grip the baseball the same way, and all those things. Even though Torino's had no trouble, and neither did the rest of their bullpen. But I don't know. It just seems strange to me that that Cash is is sort of, if, if that's what he told Dave Wills that he'd like for Colomay to get to the point where he does that. But the biggest reason they're losing is the same reason they've been losing, and that is they can't score any damn runs. And as I mentioned in the open, look, as long as the guys who are in the meat of their order that they're counting on, I mean, this is not going to be a great raise lineup, right? I mean, we think that, you know, Matt Duffy is probably their best hitter overall. Um, whether he hits, you know, as many home runs as Longo d- did last year, or was 22 or so, I don't know he's going to do that. But he certainly, you know, got the best approach and, and seems to be a guy that's going to probably wind up as their best average hitter anyway. Um, but really, it's it's the, the, the combination of, of Kiermaier and Gomez and Ramos, you know, especially with Gomez and Ramos are the guys that are counted on whatever home runs they're going to hit. Um, you know, those are the two that, that most likely should or would hit the most. And then Kiermaier should be your best overall player. Uh, in addition to not swinging the bat well, Steve, early in the game, he gets Serenos in trouble. There's a fly ball, and it's a windy day. I mean, the ball is blowing all over the place, and I'm not suggesting that Kiermaier was the only one that had trouble with the wind. But this ball should have been caught, and it was a routine fly early in the inning. They got out of it, but they actually scored it a triple, which was just insane. Um, you know, even Andy Fried and them were talking about it on the radio that that, that should have never been scored a hit, uh, but it was. So, you know, he's out there for his defense first and foremost. He, he can't, you know, he can't make that play. Um, and then, you know, at the plate, I mean, just get a load at the lack of production that this guy – has had so far in this early season. He's two for 28. And worse than that, he struck out 12 times out of those 28 at-bats. He stranded runners all day uh, on on Thursday. He's had a couple of walks. So that's 30 plate appearances that we were at, you were adding up with me before uh, this podcast. And that means he's reached a total of four times, and he's left 16 runners on base. He did it all day on Thursday as well. 
And I'm sorry, but if you're going to be sort of the de facto, you know, face of the franchise, I mean, Chris Archer is pitching every five days. And we talked about how, you know, Kiermaier before the season, he spoke about being the leader, being more vocal um, in a good way, holding guys accountable, holding himself accountable, uh, tired of losing, these sort of things. This is this is just not what they need out of Kevin Kiermaier right now. No, and it, it, it's it's baffling to see him swinging for the fences, it seems like, every at That's what he's doing. No, I think you're right. And he's not a home run hitter. He'll run into one every once in a while. But his strength sure. is hit the ball to the gaps and run. And the other way. Yeah, hit you know it the other I mean? way. Like, hit take it to the pitches gaps the and other run. way. Or even, yeah. hit, even hit it in the infield and, and leg it out. Hit the ball on the ground if you have to. Absolutely, use your speed. But, I mean, he is continually, I mean, almost to the point of off-balance swings, you know, almost to the point of bailing, trying to open his hips and, and drive the ball to right field, Whether no matter where the ball is pitched. He has a terrible approach right now. Just, you know, forget about, I mean, a production is one thing. He's not seeing the ball. Um, he, he's taking some pretty good pitches. That's what happens when, you go in, when you're in a slump. You, you wind up taking strikes and swinging the balls out of the strike zone. Um, but he's always been a guy for his speed and, and his skill set, you know, you, you know, you want him to get on base. You want him to be in a position at least to steal some bases for you or run the bases hard for you. And we know he's not been the smartest base runner, but he does have some speed and, you know, he's not a guy that, that really gets very deep in counts. He doesn't, you know, he, he just doesn't help himself. And, this is not a new problem. He's off to a horrible start. And I can see a lot of people, you know, on social media, um, you know, are sort of on him and on the Rays in general saying they're never going to hit. And that's probably true. They're not going to score a lot of runs. But, you know, it's not un- unusual for guys to get off to, for, to a, you know, a two for 20 start to start the season. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressing that goes on early in the year. We've seen this with other players. But for all three of those guys I just mentioned that they're counting on, this is never was never going to be an offense. They they need to move the the baseball. I mean that was the whole thing. They were sacrificing power to sort of have the conga line go and and guys put balls in play. And you know if you're three big sort of hitters, if you will, in the middle of that lineup, batting two, three, and four, can't you know are all in a in, in just a horrendous slump together. That's why they're not going to score runs, and they won't score runs until one or two or all three of those guys get going. Well, and, 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 you know, look, they admitted from the beginning that, look, they're not going to score as many runs this year. They're going for pitching and defense. But they have sure. 15 runs in seven games. There's no way you can win it with You're not going to win, scoring no. Scoring two I runs mean, a game on average. And, and 10 right. of those runs, 10 of those runs have come in the eighth inning. They're doing nothing against the starting pitching. Exactly right. Now, Six of them came good, in one They've played a lot of good starting pitchers, but they've done nothing against the starters. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – they're starting games slow, and, you know, it, I mean, the pitching, as well as they have pitched so far this year, they should easily be 500 or better. I mean, I, I they've, you know, they've kept games close. They've lost a lot of one-run games. They've held teams down pretty much in pretty good lineups. I mean, look, the Red Sox have a good lineup, can hit. The Yankees have an outstanding lineup, and they did beat them around a little bit in some of those games. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's six in a row now for Kevin Cash's team. They're still in the middle of this odyssey of a road trip where it's just freezing cold every day and every night. They have a rare off day on you know on Friday, which is probably a good thing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, they had an off day Monday. It was supposed to be Tuesday, but that got true snowed out and then, you know, early in the season they a lot of times schedule an off day after a home opener in case the home right. opener gets canceled. 
And now they're talking about when they go to Chicago, it's supposed to be so cold that they may move that game from night to daytime. <laughs> it's just everywhere they're going, it's so bitterly cold. You were talking about a road trip that you were part of a long time ago when they uh, uh, when the Atlanta Braves were playing. Is that right? Yeah, well, it, it reminded me of it because uh, Yanni Chirinos today became the first pitcher uh, in Fenway Park to make his debut or make his first start in Fenway Park and, get, and give up no runs in five innings or more since Kyle Davies did it in May of 2005, which I was working for the Atlanta Braves at the time and running the radio network. So I was at that game, and it was at the end of a two-week road trip where we left Atlanta. And if you think about it, smartphones weren't around yet. You didn't have really extended forecast. You could maybe get a week out or whatever back then. So we go to Denver, L.A., San Diego first. So that's a week and a half. And it's 75 and sunny. warm weather trip. 75 and sunny everywhere we go. It's mid-May. It's beautiful. Then we go to Boston. Mid-May, not April. Mid-May. So we go to Boston. Uh, We have an off day there on a Thursday where it's 75 and sunny and absolutely beautiful in Boston. Nice. And then Friday, May 21st of 2005. It's 48, wet and rainy, and almost sleeting. It was an Goodness. awful game. Kyle Davies made his major league debut and pitched really well, but we were frozen. We had no winter apparel with us because we had just been to Denver, L.A., and San Diego in May. Right. It was miserable. Well, I mean, it's hard to dress for two types of weather like that. Um, well, and but, when you don't yeah. know that you're expecting that weather. it's mid. I mean, you're thinking Boston mid-May. It can't be that bad. Well, these guys were expecting it, but I think you know it's one thing to say it's going to be cold and then actually get out there and play. I've never seen guy more, more uh, covered faces. They're wearing underneath their uh, jerseys now what amounts to like thick hoodies, and then they have you know the big um, you know face scarves and stuff on the front of their. It's I mean they're bundled up. I don't know. Maybe maybe the problem is they're just not loose enough to swing. Well, at this point, they you should know? just try the Vaseline. <laughs> The Vaseline story, by the way, went viral, did it not? Absolutely, that it did. That thing was crazy, man. I mean, at this Kevin point, you're, you've lost six in a row. Why not try it? Try something. I mean, they, they need a rain out. Let, let uh, Crash Davis turn the sprinklers on or something. Um, they, need to, they need to do something to get those bats going, man. Throw them all in the shower, whatever you got to do. It's uh, This is as... You know, we asked for the one word, you know, and, and mine was hopeless, and maybe that was a little too strong. But seriously, I mean, it, would, it, would it shock you? Now, I know they're going to play the White Sox, who are, who are not necessarily an outstanding team, but, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. I mean, look, I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees, these are the teams they got to play 19 times each, I think. But, um, but nonetheless, would it shock you if this team that is now one in six, right, six in a row – if they started out uh, three and seventeen, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I mean it, that can happen, but that can happen it, to a baseball team when you bury yourself. It kind of like has the feeling. I don't remember what year it was, uh, five six years ago maybe, when they started zero and seven and never held a lead in those first that first week. Was that the um, Johnny Damon year and then it came back and made the playoffs? Yeah, I believe so. And Sam Fold made yeah. a tremendous catch in Chicago against yes. the White Sox, which kind of snapped yes. that streak. And uh, But, I mean, the the first week was just a miserable week to the season. Um, I, 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 I recall that. that. I, I, I don't remember which season it was, but um, it was just yeah, they couldn't. I mean, they, the first week, no no leads whatsoever. Right. No, and, they, and I believe that year they came back and they did make the postseason. It was a horrible – I think it was a 1-8 start. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds eight, about right. Yep. 
And, uh, yeah, they look like they buried themselves. And, and, and you give them credit for rallying. I mean, you know, here you go. It's a long season. We all know Which that. Which just shows so. you one in seven isn't, or one in six isn't insurmountable at this point. But you better start turning it around. Well, yeah, because we talked about how, you know, when you get when you get eight or ten games under 500, you got to win for a month, you know, to get to, get, you know, play over 500 baseball to kind of get that back and get back to 500, which is where you want to be. I guess it's good, you know, it's glass half full. They're pitching very, very well. I love I love what Chirinos did. I think he's going to be a guy that they absolutely could, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the plan, you know, to go with two bullpen days. It sort of was out of necessity with the injury they had, and guys just weren't stretched out. Well, now they're stretching some guys out. Chirinos being one of those guys, I'd have no trouble putting him as a starter, you know, as my fourth starter or whatever you want to do. Um, he's a big physical, you know, he pitches to contact. He throws a lot of strikes. He attacks hitters, gets a lot of ground balls, gets guys to roll over on, on a lot of balls, uh, works fast. The defense is into it and, and he's a big man. I, I just like the way he threw. I, I think he has a bright future and I, he was their pitcher of the year. I think last year yeah. in, in organization, I got to believe that. I mean, their plan as of now is three starters with two bullpen days. And, and that was out of necessity because Nathan Avaldi, you know, two, three days before the season opener gets hurt and put on the disabled list for a couple of months. I got to imagine if whether it's Chirinos or Yarborough or any of those guys, Kittredge, one of them really starts stepping up and putting together back-to-back-to-back appearances that look really good and really strong, that they're not going to be afraid to put one of them as the fourth starter and stick with one bullpen day. But they want to see who steps up and does that. So they'll probably go with the bullpen days for a little while here to see, you know, who they think is capable of that. Yeah. Well, right now, uh, the K and KK means one thing, strikeout. So he's got 12 of them. Not a good thing for Kevin Kiermeyer. All right, let's talk about a, a column that my uh, good friend and colleague said that I would uh, take apart on tonight's uh, or today's podcast, and he's right. <laughs> Tom Jones, as only Tom can do, uh, wrote what I thought was kind of a provocative column. Look, he makes a lot of good points here, and we're going to go over all of them. Um, but, uh, you know, he basically said, in the case of Saquon Barkley, who I, I think it's less than a 15% chance that he's there at number seven, it would take, uh, a, you know, sort of a, uh, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be a rare occurrence with a bunch of quarterbacks and trades that would somehow plummet him to number seven. I'm not sure it's going to happen. If four I quarterbacks think, go in the top six, it's possible. Well, four would have to go in the top six and maybe, and then, and, and then you know, Cleveland would have to pass on him at four. They'd have to have take two. either Nelson or Chubb at that point. That's right. They'd have to take another position player. So you'd, you'd have to have four quarterbacks and two position players go ahead of him for him to be there at seven. Um, so I think it's rare. But let you know, for the purpose of this column, you know, Tom is saying, okay, let's let's assume that that he's there, and we we know that you know some people, and I've heard Kuiper and and others say that he might be the best overall player in the draft. Certainly, he tested that way. I mean, the guy, you know, is 21 years old. He weighs 233 pounds. He ran a 4.41. He, you know, jumps higher than than a lot of basketball players, 41 inch vertical or something like that. I think he jumped and, higher than all the receivers. I think he did higher than Julio Jones when he tested. So, you know, he he has all this unbelievable athletic ability. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and the production to go with it. I mean, at Penn State, you know, the guy was phenomenal. And I think personally he's, to me, he's the best running back just from a pure physical and production maybe standpoint that we've seen since Adrian Peterson. I mean, I think he's that special. And and even Peterson, and you know, the argument is that Tom makes is not that Barkley isn't a great talent because that's sort of indisputable. It's really more about the running back position. As Tom says, you know, they have short shelf lives. Um, you can get good ones later in the draft. Certainly this is a draft that has a lot of running backs, I think, that will go – good running backs that will go into the third, maybe even the fourth round. And then, you know, for every Emmett Smith – or Walter Payton, you know, you can point to Kajana Carter or a, a Blair Thomas, two Penn State running backs that went, you know, number one overall. One was number two overall, and both their actually both their careers were derailed by injuries. I I really that's sort of where his argument breaks down. If you're saying that running backs are more prone to injury and therefore a bigger risk that high in the draft, I I would get that argument, and I do get that argument. But simply because you're naming two running backs that you know from Penn State that were taken high and got hurt, you, you just can't predict injury. I mean, it's one of those things that um, you know at the time that those guys were taken, they seemed certainly worthy of it, much like Saquon Barkley did. Um, but I, I tend to, here's where I come down on it, Steve, and you can disagree with me and agree with Tom if you want to. But and I do see his arguments. Um, you know, the average length of, of a running back in the NFL is 2.57 years. I mean. Uh, you know, so that's about a year less than the average player at any position, uh, because of the the punishment they take. But I I just think that Barkley on this team, where they're at now, you know, if if you were starting a team and and you had all and you know you had needs, and certainly the Bucks have big needs on the offensive line. Still, they have a big need at corner. Um, but at seven, we're talking about the seventh pick. And somehow he's there. That means Bradley Chubb is gone. That means Quentin Nelson is likely gone. At that point, your choices are Saquon Barkley or moving down, okay, or or staying there and taking one of the defensive backs um, or a safety, perhaps, Minka Fitzpatrick, somebody like that. I, I just think that Barkley is a transformative player on this team because on this team, what he does for you is take a lot of pressure off your quarterback, a lot of pressure off your offensive line, a lot of pressure off your defense. And I've seen teams with lesser quarterbacks get a running back. I mean, even going back as far as, you know, Cadillac Williams. Cadillac Williams was never the player in college that Saquon Barkley was. He was a guy that actually split carries with Ronnie Brown, and yet the Bucks took him five overall. Well, for, for about two seasons and certainly his rookie year, um, he put them on, on on his back, and I think Brian Greasy at that time was the quarterback. And I watched this guy sort of transform John Gruden's offense, and they they went to the playoffs, you know, in his first year. And and and, and the biggest part of that year of that team was was Cadillac Williams. And then all the injuries came, and 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 now you're making Tom's argument that they never got real value for the fifth overall pick because Cadillac Williams, you know, tore both uh, knees up and and was never a very good player. Um, but I, 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 I do believe that, you know, discounting the fact that he could get injured, and if that's, if that's the argument, okay, what he would do in the passing game, what he would do 
um, just from a play-action standpoint. I think with the other weapons that they already have in place, that he he would be. I think they'd be foolish to pass on Saquon Barkley. I I don't get. I don't agree with all of Tom's points. But if you're picking in the top ten, your mm-hmm. goal is to not pick in the top ten very often. True. You want to be a, one of the better teams in the league. That's right. So when you're in the top ten, you're looking for a player that is going to make an impact on your team for a long time. Running yes. back position. Running back position is such short-lived in the NFL. Um, you know, look at... No, it's true. And, and, and the thing is, is you're going to draft Saquon Barkley, and he's going to carry the bulk of the load for Tampa Bay because you don't have anyone else any close to his, his caliber. On this he's team. a three-down back. You're right. probably not taking him off the field much, yeah. The best teams in the NFL now are starting to see where you need to have two or three really good backs, and you're divvying it up. Philadelphia did that this year. New uh, Orleans. The Saints did that this year, where yeah. you can't just have one back. So no. if you're going to draft Saquon Barkley... And you're just and he's gonna be your feature back and you're gonna he's pound the rock with him cap. twenty to twenty five touches a game. You're yep. gonna have a short career out of him for a number seven pick. Well, that's true. If you don't have the de- if you don't have the depth there. So, you know, as a number seven pick, you can weigh this year, and do you think, you know, Barkley's gonna get you the promise in this year, next year, then maybe he's worth it. But if you're looking for a long term impact on your team five, six, seven, ten years down the road. To have a long career, running back may not be the best choice at that pick. Now, there's always no, exceptions and, to the rules that you know that running backs don't last that long. There's some will, but you know, well, you, 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 I think you have to weigh that. Now, I don't think there's a defensive back in this draft that's worth taking at number seven. I don't either. You know, so if Chubb and, and Nelson are gone, and you're not you're not taking a quarterback. Some are saying the kid from Ohio State uh, was it Denzel Ward. Um, I think you could trade back five, six picks and get one of the defensive backs. And, and I'm not taking a safety. I just don't think there's the value. I know a safety's lot of not worth love, a seven pick to me. A lot of people love Minka Fitzpatrick. If you think he can play corner, you know, and shut and be a lockdown corner, and maybe there's a team or two that do believe that. But really, he's best sort of you know in the box kind of safety guy. Um, I don't think the value of the position is high enough to take him seven overall. I mean, they did that with Mark Barron. You know, he's essentially a linebacker for the for the Rams right now. I wouldn't take a safety seven overall unless it's an absolute home run. You, you know, it's got to be almost Saquon Barkley to that position. You know, where yeah. it's it's the the best we've seen in years coming out at that. Position. I know it's I know it's a stretch because he's a Hall of Famer. But what if Saquon Barkley, with a good quarterback like Troy Aikman was, turns out to be Emmitt Smith and plays twelve years? Oh, he might. He might. Or eighteen. You but know, he but, played but 18, today's really. NFL is much more physical, and the running backs take a bigger pounding than they did. But they used ago. to run the ball more. Oh, back absolutely, in and, and 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 he, like I said, there are exceptions to the rule. He might last ten years taking that pounding, or twelve years in the NFL, and be like Emmett Smith. He might be. Mm-hmm. I'm saying at the number seven pick, you have to look at that pick not just for this coming year and the year after, but a number seven pick. You want to be there for for some time. <laughs> I know you do, but how do you think Jason like well, Cutter? Well, look that's, at this that's a different long that's a different time. part. They of want the to argument. be there a long time. That's a different part of the argument, and it changes it where they need to get through this season. So yeah, they need to win now. Yeah, yeah, they're not. They're well, not, they're not Dave Gettleman coming into a new team, and he's got years to no, build this. Um, no, and you know, so Jason and Dirk have to win now. So maybe Saquon is the pick if if he's available at number seven because he would definitely he, I, he would definitely help this team immediately. He's awfully impressive, and it'd be awfully hard. But you you make the good the good the best point that Tom and you just made is that very few running backs, even those taken in the first round really make it to a second contract. 
I mean, we saw Doug Martin, who was taken late in the first round, do it, right? And they paid him $7.5 million a year. Uh, and then what happened? You know, uh, and now he had some personal issues. I get that. But now, you know, what happens is, okay, so you come to the league, you're 21, 22 years old. You play, in this case, you're going to play five years under your rookie deal because there's a fifth-year option because you're a first-rounder. So now you're 27 going for your first free agent deal. So two years into that second deal, you're a 29-year-old running back with a whole lot of, of pounding and hits on you. So it's rare, you know, how much money are you going to are you going to spend to re-sign a guy that you've gotten the most miles after? And you know, and this this happens to be a really good draft for running backs. I, I mean, there there have been a couple of those now, but certainly this one is deep. I get all that, and yet this is Juan Barkley, man. <laughs> it's like he is. I'm telling you, he's special. Could he get hurt? Yeah, you know. There's always a chance I think, of that. There's always a risk I, of any player. You can hurt. say that about any player. You can also say that that guy you're going to draft, if it's, I mean, if if Nelson and and Chubb are gone, whoever that guy you're going to take. I don't care who you're talking about in the first round. There's a risk with everybody. Anybody can be a bust. Saquon Barkley could be a bust. I mean, it's 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 just the nature of the of the business, and a lot of that goes to what team does he go to, how many systems does he play under, who the quarterback is, you know, all those things. Who's the offensive line? So, uh, but man, uh, I would be I would be inclined to trade back if Saquon's the pick. Would you really? But wow. if you can't, if you can't trade back I take him over a defensive back or anybody else I take him over reaching for somebody and I would and I would sell it that way I'd say we got arguably because all you can do is right set your board up right and mm-hmm. everybody thinks they set it up by who, who who's going to go one to Cleveland who's going to go two to you know to this team they set it up based on who is the best player mm-hmm. well that's you know, how the Bucs got OJ Howard last year Right, they, they, I mean, didn't, they like, didn't expect to get him. He dropped. They didn't. Them. They weren't right. They weren't looking for a tight end per se, but the best player that was still there, shockingly, they had him as a top five talent, was was OJ Howard. So they took him in what nineteen. So if if your board is such that you start crossing off names, let's let's say you know, I mean, you you do look at quarterbacks, even though um, you're maybe not in it for a quarterback. You still want to. You still want to play some money. Yeah, but board if Sam Darnold value, all of a sudden drops to number seven for some reason, and you think he's the best player in the draft, you may you have may to take, take him. him. You might, or you might trade. You know, you might ask for a. a well, you may you take know, him and trade him too. Or, a king's ransom, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's what you do. You you rate those quarterbacks. They're going to go somewhere, probably in the top ten, but somewhere high, high, high on your board is going to be Saquon Barkley. Probably no worse than number two or three, and. You're going to go, mm, I'm not passing on the second or third best talent in this draft at seven for somebody that I think is lesser. Well, and how much Listen, How much does ticket sales and ownership play in this? And I don't know if the Glazers would interfere that way, but well, look, Saquon Barkley a, pick is sexy. It's real sexy, and this is, a, this is a team that took a kicker from Florida State in the second round and traded up to get him. So don't tell me about it. Yeah, they put their thumb on the scale. That wasn't just a Jason Light deal. I mean, trading up for him might have been, but the whole idea of getting getting that kicker from Florida State at that point, um, yeah, ownership had a role in that. So I, I agree with you. I'd be like, man, we're selling we're selling tickets like hotcakes that we draw tickets him. and he, jerseys with Saquon Barkley would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you protect and, your here, here's the other thing: you protect that investment, that hundred million dollar quarterback you got back there. Mm-hmm. He might last an extra two or three years if the other guy's taking a beating for him. Yep. And, and Saquon makes this team better immediately. No question about it. He's better than Peyton Barber and everybody else it. they got in the roster. And I've anybody else they're it. probably going to bring in this fall. 
I've seen running backs come in and do that, and I think he could do it for him too. Interesting column, though. I want to check it out on TampaBay.com. Okay, let's uh, sort of wrap it up with this. Just a quick story, um, which was uh, unusual in, in a sense, but about someone who's local that I've met uh, before. Shannon Moen is a Steinbrenner High School graduate, and she currently works for Julian Edelman's uh, marketing company. She does social media and, and other things. And I met her at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. This is when the uh, Patriots wound up coming back and, and beating the Atlanta Falcons. She was At that time, she worked for the Patriots as an intern uh, from the University of Alabama, and she was working in their communications department, setting up interviews, and really nice young lady. Um, her, her father alerted me to the fact that she was with the Patriots at the time, and I guess through that work, she met Julian Edelman uh, and is doing some work for him now, so she's still sort of in that New England orbit, if you will. So Edelman uh, last month was visiting Danny Amendola in Texas, and he got a direct message on his Instagram account that said uh, the following, dude, there's a kid in your comment section that says he's going to shoot up a school, and I think you should alert authorities. So Edelman, you know, is, oh, my God, you know, with all that's happened in Parkland and and, and all of that, um, you know, he immediately ends up calling uh, Shannon Moen, uh, and has her, you know, go through the timelines and look through literally hundreds of comments from his last post, and he found it. And sure enough, there was a post that said, I'm going to shoot at my school and watch the news. And what could be more scary than that? So she notified, you know, the Boston police. The authorities came. They, they found, uh, you know, they looked into the timeline. They found this guy's IP address, and they found the sender of this uh, this post in Port Huron, Michigan. Anyway, it was a 14-year-old boy, and police said he admitted to sending the post, and it was aimed at uh, a middle school, I guess, he attended. So they placed him in juvenile detention. He's been charged with making a false report uh, of a threat of terrorism and all that. And uh, so Mullen is quoted in a New York Times story, by the way. She says that uh, when I told you know Julian about it, you know how this thing wound up, he was in shock. Um, the lesson here, and I talked to her father. He he kind of called me about this uh, before the story ran in the New York Times because he knew I had written about Shannon, and and he told me she was pretty shaken by it. Um, but it 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 kind of reaffirms, you know, the whole notion: if you if you see something, say something. And this guy happened to see a post that was buried among hundreds of other posts in Julian Edelman's timeline on Instagram. So, um, good job by Shannon, who who knows, you know, may have help prevent just an awful tragedy. So Well, and good job to the it, guy that contacted them, too, to let them no know. No kidding. I that's mean, how it know, all began. That's, that's yeah. what we keep saying over and over is see something, say something, and people did, and it stopped something. That's tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting story there. Well, we want to wrap it up with this. Uh, some good news. The Tampa Bay Lightning are back in first place. How did they do it? They didn't even play, Steve. The Panthers defeated the Boston Bruins 3-2 to tonight in Sunrise. So that means Boston and Tampa Bay are now tied at 110 points, both having played 80 games, so both have two games remaining. Uh, but Tampa Bay holds the tiebreaker, which the first tiebreaker in the NHL is not head-to-head, which Boston controls. The first tiebreaker is regulation and overtime wins, which Tampa Bay has 47 this year, Boston has 46. So if Tampa Bay wins in regulation or overtime the next two games against Buffalo tomorrow, or Friday night and Carolina Saturday night, they will be in, they will win first place in, in – clinch the Eastern Conference and home ice throughout the Eastern Conference. Well, that would be a huge, huge thing, and, and a real credit. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure the Lightning are very in debt to Florida right now, 
who plays them again. They play again on Sunday in Boston, right? Yes, uh, the Panthers do have to play uh, Boston one more time as a makeup game for a snowed-out game from January in Boston. And that might be the game that uh, could potentially uh, get Florida into the playoffs, although I guess Philly won, so that didn't help them. Florida now can only catch Philly. Uh, they are two points back, or uh, excuse me, four points back uh, with two games in hand. Mm-hmm. So Florida has to win out, and they need Philly to lose out. Wow. And Philly needs well, to lose in regulation. Hope- and I think Philly just has one game left, so they just need to lose their last game in regulation, and the Panthers have to win their last two. And the you pan- hope that if you're a Lightning fan, you hope that occurs so that that final game means something, right? Well, you the Boston. I mean, if, if Tampa Bay wins out, that that game doesn't mean anything to Tampa Bay. That now. doesn't mean anything yeah. anyway. Now, right, if, right, right. If Tampa Bay drops a point or two to Buffalo or Carolina, then yes, it does. But so basically, but if, right Florida, now, if Florida gets in the playoffs, it'll be a Lightning Florida matchup. If if the Lightning clinch first in the first round, which would be pretty cool. But right now, the Lightning control their own destiny is what you're saying. Correct. Win in regulation and overtime the next two, and you clinch the Eastern Conference. Wow. How about that? How about that? That would be amazing. Well, we appreciate you guys uh, listening to us Monday through Friday each and every day during the week. And uh, we always are interested in your interaction. Um, This podcast is growing by leaps and bounds. We want to make sure that you go see my friend Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Let's sell some jewelry for him and – um, he's Mother's Day's listener. coming up. I got to figure out what to get my mother and you know my wife. It is. You are absolutely correct. That's a. It's the place to go. My wife's uh, going to go there and order some jewelry uh, for her as well. Pretty soon. In fact, this week. So it is where I shop. You do get the best prices, and so go see Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Uh, you can always interact with us on Twitter at Sports Day TB or at NFL Stroud. You can reach me on line as well at tampabay.com or stroud at tampabay.com and we want you to rate and review this podcast steve and they can do that almost anywhere well anywhere you're getting this podcast whether you subscribe through itunes or google play stitcher tune in iheart radio soundcloud uh, you can rate review us there like us everything and then also tampabay.com slash sports always has the latest episodes you can do the same there too We'll be talking a lot about the Masters next week. I think we're going to have a chance to talk to uh, USF running backs coach, former Bucks quarterback Sean King. Got a lot of things in store for you and also kind of a countdown to the draft. We'll be uh, previewing uh, what's going to happen in the draft. We have a lot of interviews with uh, players, uh, one of them local, Mason Cole. So you want to stay on hand for that. I wonder what's going to happen in the Mazers. Tiger Woods, not such a great day. He's still in it, though, plus one. Had to scramble to do that with a couple birdies late. And your boy, Jordan Spieth, I guess he got the yips out of him. He's six under, leading the tournament. His ninth time, the ninth round that he's led the Masters already in his young career. Wow. Well, he's like, what, 23, 24, maybe 25? Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible how, how uh, a few rounds he's played to have that little lead that many times. So should be an interesting weekend if Tiger can stay in it. We'll talk about that on Monday as well. For Steve Verstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. 